Hey, Nora. Hey, Sandy. What's up? How you doing? Was crackalacking. Mm-hmm. You know, I am so relaxed that last night as I was going to bed, I was like, oh, no, I didn't get ready for tomorrow's daily news. I guess I'm just not doing it. <laughs> it's oh, a no. holiday. <laughs> oh, right. Yeah. Okay. I was like, you, you But what? I've been doing them on holidays. I've been doing them on holidays. So I was like, oh, shit. And I even on Friday, I was like, I'll be back on Monday. But I'm like, you know what? I'm, I'm, I'm going to sleep in, which I did. Well, you nice. still have the excuse. You still have the excuse. So I, I support that. But also, like, you know, friends, this is a reason to donate to the podcast. <laughs> um, <laughs> if we ever get to a point where we can, like, hire a producer uh, and have that stuff to be taken care of a little bit so Nora can Ooh, sleep in, we will. Could you imagine? Um, but that would be lovely. It would be, it would be a dream. We're not there yet. But if you, if you feel like... Uh, supporting us because you missed the news, the daily news yesterday. Uh, here's here's a reason why. <laughs> totally. But Sandy, we got um, we got what less than a week to go before we see each other in person in the city of Toronto. Oh my god. I am so excited. I'm so excited. So please, please come see us. Uh, we will be in Toronto and uh, it will be Saturday, October 14th. Please get your tickets if you have not yet gotten them. Yeah. And actually, you know what? Talking about tickets, Sandy, we need two Sandy and Nora fans to volunteer to help us take tickets at the door. Oh, great. So... If you're interested in doing that, shoot us an email at sandynora at protonmail.com and uh, we'll go with, I guess, maybe the first two people. I don't know. If you already have tickets for the show, we will uh, refund your tickets. So it'll be like, that's our thank you because we can't pay you. (laughs) But um, yes, two or three ticket people at the door. There's no skill involved. Uh, You won't need anything in particular. You're just going to be checking people's tickets. And uh, we would love that. So shoot us an email, Sandy and Nora at ProtonMail.com. And all you have to do is be there maybe, I don't know, 15 minutes before the show. And then you'll be good to go after five minutes after start. And so just a reminder, you can get your tickets at thepointofsale.com and we will see you on Saturday. That's right. Okay. How else are you doing besides feeling super restful? Oh, I mean, well, I'm feeling uh, grateful because it's Thanksgiving. Hmm. What are you grateful for? I'm grateful for people that donate to Sandy and Nora. I love that. Let's do it. Who do we have to thank this week? Yes. Thank you so much to everybody who donates the podcast, shares the episodes, changes their donations. I know up, down, whatever. Everyone's doing whatever they got to do. Thanks even to folks who cancel but have been longtime donors. We couldn't do the show without you. So this week, especially thanks to Dave, Myla, Lily, Gail, Andy, Jack, Andre, Greg, Emiliano, and Andrew, thank you all so much. Oh my God, y'all are the best. Thank you so much. Um, Now, this has been, I can't even say a week. It's been uh, like the last few days in global politics has been uh, awful, tragic, uh, and also stunning uh, what's happened. Mm -hmm. And uh, there's there's so much to discuss and so many ways that we can discuss it. 
And one of the things that we thought we might want to talk about specifically on this podcast with respect to what is happening in Palestine is uh, is the way politicians in the West have decided to respond to it. But I suppose before we do that, we should give a little bit of a recap as to what's happened in case you haven't heard. Yeah. So this weekend, news has been dominated by what is happening in Palestine. And it all started with a secret operation that was undertaken by Hamas, which is a militant organization that is based in Gaza. And they captured and attacked um, IDF soldiers, uh, Israeli soldiers, and also Israeli civilians. They broke through one of the barriers or a few of the barriers, I think, that were quickly recaptured by Israel. But, you know, for people that don't know, Gaza is effectively an open air prison and Israel controls all of the borders and all of the checkpoints uh, in and out of Gaza and Gazans can't actually leave. Um, and, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a place of, of more than 2 million people. Uh, about half of those folks are children. And Hamas uh, surprised the military in Israel with this offensive. Israel has retaliated. And because they control Gaza, they have shut off all electricity. There's, they're, they're trying to block the, the food supply to Gaza. Uh, they've been bombing Gaza City. And those images have been uh, all over the news, including taking down you know, condo towers or apartment towers in Gaza City. And uh, we've got Israel's leadership promising to basically annihilate Gaza. I mean, like they're talking about annihilating Hamas. You know, that's probably an, an obvious thing that they would say considering the attack from Hamas. But their reaction has been, um, you know, pretty intense. And so there's obviously casualties on on all sides. Um, some numbers place casualties uh, in Israel around 700. It's not clear how many of those were civilians and military. And of course, what muddies the water in Israel is like conscription. So, you know, everyone at some point spends time in the military. Um, and then on the Palestinian side, some hundreds of people have been killed. I think the most recent I've seen is 500. Um, but those numbers are climbing. And of course, injuries um, are, uh, are also very, very common. I've seen up to 2,000 people injured. And... Um, and, you know, medical facilities in Gaza are also being destroyed. So this is the first flare up, I guess we can say, of violence in the Middle East like this since the the fascistic government of Benjamin Netanyahu has gotten into power as organized government, though the violence in the settlements in the West Bank has been increasing steadily over the last uh, couple of years, including with Israeli soldiers and settlers raiding refugee camps or raiding cities in the West Bank, killing people, setting fire to cars, setting fire to houses, and like, you know, terrorizing people effectively. So that is where we are. We're recording on Monday. So if there's some major thing that happens in the next 24 hours, we're not going to be aware of it yet. Um, but perhaps you are. Yeah, and I think uh, it's important to also just note uh, for for folks who have seen a lot of the responses from government officials that have been saying that uh, you know that this is unprovoked. That of course, like on this pet podcast, you you won't hear that kind of um, uh, language. Of course, um, this is an occupation, and uh, the. Uh, you know, this is an apartheid state and uh, people are going to resist uh, occupation like that is what's going to happen. And the, what is like really 
frightening is what Nora just said about uh, the the government's response. This this sort of this idea of annihilation. Now, of course, I think that that has been like the unwritten. Um, policy of Israel uh, uh, for uh, quite some time, uh, annihilation. But this this cutting off of electricity, cutting off of fuel, cutting off of food, getting into the region, like that is, I uh, man, you know, we've said on this podcast before as folks who are anti-war, you know, like war um, is... is the response of violence is not going to get anything more but more violence like any sort of any sort of war and in some sort of political process like it 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 will have a political process it's just like when that political process is going to happen or unless they they carry out like a full on genocide so the, like that these those are the options here that's where we're at and that is what you know, when we're when we're evaluating what uh, politicians or um, uh, people in power say in response, uh, that has to be the frame at which we are looking at this. Like, are you uh, condoning? Are you uh, supporting uh, more violence, uh, more people being killed, more um, tragedy and destruction? Or are you supporting something else? Mm hmm. Yeah, so uh, this is also, I mean, the first major incident in Palestine since, like, Twitter was completely fundamentally changed, thanks to Elon Musk. And so it's been also very hard to figure out what's real online. And, um, you know, of course, because the verified accounts tend to be these, like, trolls, it's like sorting through the details on social media feels even more difficult than usual. But what has been interesting is the total coordination that we've seen. And Sandy, you started off by talking about politicians. Maybe I want to back up a little bit more than that. And first, let's talk about the police. So on Saturday, there was a coordinated set of tweets that were sent out by police forces all over Canada that said that they would be working very hard to protect Jewish Canadians in case there's any kind of threat that rose against them in light of what was happening in Israel. And that is like really weird for a whole bunch of different reasons. Um, I think the most obvious is just the coordination of it. Like this, this wasn't just like, oh, Edmonton's going to say this now. Oh, Vancouver is going to say, that. oh, now Toronto's like, there's obviously some sort of coordination happening within chiefs of police all across Canada. And they're also very close with municipalities, right? So there's probably also some level of coordination happening with mayors uh, or with provincial or federal um, authorities. But I, I was just so struck by that because I'm not sure I've ever seen that emphasis before on the safety of Jews in Canada as a result of Hamas taking this military action against Israel. What did you make of that? Well, yeah, that and then also, you know, there has been um, anti-Semitic um, activities happening in Canada through like the rise of white supremacist groups for a while. <laughs> okay. And I have never, and that is close to home and, uh, you know, you can touch it. And I have never seen that sort of response uh, from police forces across Canada um, uh, in, uh, to, to combat uh, um, the dangers of anti-Semitism. And so th to me, it's like it's, it spells out that this must be about something else. And of course, what that something else is about is painting people who support, who are uh, in solidarity with Palestinians as as anti-Semitic, it's the it's the same um, sort of uh, 
Zionist playbook that we've seen before, but from from our police forces, like I just I'm I'm I was a little I was surprised by that. I'm not gonna gonna lie. I'm like, what is what is going on here? Mm-hmm. And then on top of that, you have newly elected premier of or premier designate of Manitoba, Wab Kanu, saying saying something very similar. Olivia Chow, the mayor of Toronto, she was blasted for her message, which also made this equivalency. And like, let's be clear, whenever any comments are being made that tries to say that Jews in Canada are responsible for the violence in Israel, which some people will say, that gets called anti-Semitic and is often anti-Semitic. Like the idea that there is a collective responsibility for people outside of the country to like have like an opinion or control over a country that they may or may not have anything to do with. But when it's the chiefs of police, when it's Wab Kanu, when it's Olivia Chow, when it's Justin Trudeau saying it, there was no cries of anti-Semitism. In fact, there were activists saying, yes, this is great. This is wonderful. And then instead of, um, you know, identifying that, whoa, 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 like it does not actually serve Jews in Canada at all to be, you know, uh, t- uh, smeared with the sins of Israel. And the reverse is true as well, actually. And so, as you say, what was what's driving this is this deep anti-Palestinian racism that has, you know, existed in Canada for, for decades, but that, um, that comes uh, into discussions within the mainstream when it is politically useful to try and stop people from having opinions about Israel. And I think that the worst part of this are the Palestinians themselves in this country who feel like they can't say anything for fear of being called an anti-Semite or for fear of retribution within their workplaces or whatever. And that that whole freedom of speech side of things is like really concerning. I mean, it's not concerning to the level of what is happening in Palestine, obviously, but for Canadians who are here and who are watching the way that the conversation is being controlled by people in power, I mean, I'm like, whoa, okay, that's not good. Yeah, it's it's really, um, you know, I it, in one way I'm not surprised because, of course, this is more of the same. But it, it just seems like a little bit of doubling down. But I but I am a little bit surprised actually at some of the the comments that we've seen and the comments that we haven't seen from people in power because you know just just sort of evaluating the last few years of. Um, of this particular fight. And then, of course, the uh, corollary in Ukraine, uh, Russia, I would have thought, you know, I, I feel like the last time there was a uh, intense and maybe it's, it's maybe it's the social media bubble and I'm just not seeing things the way that they actually are. But I, I thought the last time there was like an intense Israeli um, offensive that it, it felt as though the ground had shifted things were um, were different. There was, there was more discussion in mainstream media um, uh, about, you know, what is Israel doing? Like, what is this about? And, and more people, uh, it felt to me like um, the work that has been done uh, over the decades um, had really started to take hold. And so for me, it, it felt like now, if you were a progressive politician who was sort of waffly and um, nervous to say anything on this, um, that now would be the time, that now is it. And I, I have to say, I'm a, I'm a little surprised at, uh, well, especially, you know, in Canada, it feels like 
no one has really said any. I mean, I will say that uh, I, I think I saw Leah Gazan had a message that uh, was you know, like that actually acknowledged um, uh, the occupation and uh, Palestinian people um, as part of her message um, on what is happening right now. And uh, no one else, I don't think anyone else did that I, uh, you know, took a specific look at. And I started to be curious about like, what is happening in the West generally, like who's saying things. And by West, I'm not uh, including Western Europe. I'm talking about Canada and the US basically. And um, besides Rashida Tlaib and Cori Bush, I don't, I don't think anyone else has. It's either been um, uh, a statement that is in line with, with everyone else, an unequivocal stand with uh, Israel, which is what most people are, are stating, and uh, talking about an unprovoked attack by Hamas, um, or nothing, nothing at all. Like a lot of the politicians that I would have expected in Canada to say something have said <laughs> zero, haven't said anything at all. Mm. I will shout out to Haroun Bouazi from Quebec Solidaire, who had a very good comment. And his comment was a quote tweet of another uh, member of the uh, Quebec Solidaire caucus whose tweets were not that great. So it is interesting to see that at least in QS, which is a party that is very, very firmly pro-Palestine, um, that at least there is some public debate among the members themselves on what like a, a correct or a good or a just line is. But I think that... I think that this is this is where we're seeing the impact of the government, the far right government in Israel and the West trying to come to terms with the fact that their classic ally of uh, the the beacon of democracy in the Middle East, the the the, the nation that um, that represents like, you know, so much about what what liberal democracy supports. Finally, here we are with a government that has taken actions that have gotten them condemned lightly by some of their classic um, allies in the West. And so here we are, um, you know, a couple of years into this government's mandate, they have been turning the screws to Palestinians. And, you know, if you either, you know, if you listen to the Daily News, you know, um, often I'm talking about what is happening in Janine or in other parts of the West Bank or other refugee camps and how horrifying it has been to live with this far right government next door. And we have Hamas fighting back. Now, the death toll for Israel is 900 Israelis been killed in such a short period of time. And so that's the death toll that Haaretz is saying um, is uh, has been counted so far. That's devastating, obviously, you know, a lot of civilians within that within that count. But I mean, let's be honest here. This is settler colonial nations seeing another settler colonial nation actually having the people they're oppressing fighting back. And that scares the hell out of Canada and the United States for obvious reasons. And I think that this dance between like, okay, we can maybe talk about Palestinian rights finally, as you say, that ground shift that we experienced up until uh, now, it's like, oh, actually, um, no, people are fighting back. We actually have to close our ranks around the position of supporting Israel. That's that's the, the dance that I think we're seeing from politicians right now. And it's very weird because, as you say, it doesn't follow where the, the narrative was shifting. But I actually think it's much more related to the last grasps the last gasps of what is going to be acceptable in the Middle East for a lot of countries, especially as the influence of the United States in the world falters. 
Oh my gosh. I mean, it, the, and then of course the, the, the human toll of that, it's just, I mean, many people have uh, pointed this out online. Like it's, it's, it's stunning that, you know, this is the, the ringing silence, the inability to, to say anything still, uh, at this point. And then, but also, you know, at points when we're, when we're talking about, um, uh, nonviolent approaches like BDS or the marches that never make it to Western media that we, we barely ever talk mm-hmm. about the, the, the different, um, approaches to resistance that have been ongoing um, forever, that, that never stop, the different things that people try. And then we get to this point and, uh, you know, our, our people in power have the gall to call this uh, unprovoked and to, 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 to try to justify, to justify uh, a, a, an Israeli response that would be a slow, certain death a slow, certain death for everyone in Gaza. Like that is the response. They're cutting off electricity. That means, you know, um, the, the ability to power uh, hospitals, the ability to power anything that would be life-giving that, you know, we, that people need shelter. They're saying they're going to cut off um, access to food. Like I, like that is what is in service of being justified. Like I, uh, the human toll is astronomical. And I like I, I the response is also in Canada to say that um, they're like all of the the demonstrations that are happening today. We are recording this on Monday, October 9th. The demonstrations that are happening today in support of Palestinian people in solidarity with Palestinian people calling those. Um, online and and saying that the people who are uh, partaking in in those as as supporting terrorism as terrorists themselves oh my like God. this is like what where what what year is it like I don't understand like how have we forgotten like history truly just doesn't exist in this world like I don't it's it's really quite shocking and and like well it's not shocking what is shocking is the is the zero response from so many others especially when there are so many people on the ground like ready to support you when you say something like somebody has to say that like the, the people who are in power who have been elected who are progressive who are listening to us right now who have who who have said that this is going to be something you will be progressive on that you will speak out on then why aren't you doing it like this is the time to do it you are among the most protected people who could do that why aren't you doing it Mm -hmm. oh my god yeah and canadians need to hear it and canadians on on regardless of the side that they find themselves in this on this uh in this issue they need to hear that because all we're hearing is the uniformed opinion of the elites in this country um and shared shared all the way from obviously the prime minister's office and 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 posting the israeli flag projecting the israeli flag on the parliament in canada to to commemorate the 900 people who were killed i mean that's that's a tragedy 900 people being killed is a tragedy there's no question about that afghanistan just had 2,000 people killed in an earthquake and no one's talking about that. I guess if the earthquake was, I don't know, our enemy, then maybe we would be talking about it. But, 
it's it's like the it, like the the white supremacy embedded in all of this is what I just find so galling. And knowing that the people of Gaza are stuck, they literally cannot leave. They have not had a functioning airport since Israel took it out 20 years ago or more. They are at the whim of Israel and of, an, of a literally genocidal government, right? And of course, that's not to say everybody who's elected there. I've seen some, some good comments of left-wing legislators in the Neset who are saying like, this is what Netanyahu wanted, that this is, they've been pushing and pushing and pushing to get the kind of reaction that will justify uh, a massive attack against the people of Gaza. And then the leadership we're hearing in Israel who are making these dis- decisions are saying things like, we want to eradicate this or very dehumanizing language referring to Palestinians. And as you say, no one, no one with any power in this country has the fucking courage to actually say these things, to say, wait, 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 are you kidding? This is disgusting. Now, what's, very, what's going to be very interesting is to see the global response to this. And, you know, already Saudi Arabia, who uh, Israel was trying to create connections with, uh, Saudi Arabia cre- connect, uh, creating connections back, uh, Saudi Arabia has said that this is the result of the um, extremist policy against uh, Palestinians, especially in the West Bank in the settlements. Um, uh, Turkey's Erdogan has just said that the only solution is an independent Palestinian state. And Erdogan, of course, is a very important politician as a member of NATO, as um, as someone who has positioned himself as being an interlocutor between different poles within the, in, in the global order, someone who uh, you know has stood very, very strongly with Ukraine, but also is able to negotiate and discuss things with Putin and Russia. I mean, that is that's very interesting. And I think that, you know, this is also going to add to the continued marginalization of Canada and the United States and Great Britain in discussing global affairs. If the response is 100% behind Israel in retaliation for a massacre and to not look at the at the 75 or 45 years of occupation that has existed within within you know by Israel, this is where the powers in the world start to shift around us. And all of a sudden things actually change quite a lot. And so it is grasping at liberalism. You know, a lot of people were surprised to see Volodymyr Zelensky take Israel's side or say something uh, in support of Israel and, and, uh, you know, calling Hamas and Palestinians terrorists or something, uh, considering the very opposite (laughs) situation that his country is in. And it's like, but it's because these are all proxy wars for fighting for the liberal order and what has passed for liberal democracy in the last 40 years in, in the West, including in Israel. And as that, that grasp becomes even more tenuous because the only way in Israel to maintain that has been through the far right. And of course, we're seeing the far right rising in the United States, obviously, and we're seeing it rising in Canada as well. That, that is the, 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 the piece here that is like, how is everyone else in the world responding to this? And where are they orienting uh, around this? And for how much longer will Israel be allowed to lay siege to Gaza, lay siege to a million children who have literally nowhere to go? Into the sea is the only option in Gaza. And now, like, as we're as we're recording this, Hamas has just put out a a message that they are open to discussions and truce talks and uh, some sort of um, coming to some sort of agreement. And so we'll also see how um, Israel responds to that and how the rest of the world responds to that uh, as well. Because, you know, as we said earlier, you know, these things you know, they, they, they end when there is some sort of like political discussion when they're, you know, like the, the, 
the like we'll see <laughs> who's actually um, interested in that. I guess that Israel is going to say that that's not something that they're interested in, to be honest. And so, um, you know, uh, let's see what happens. The other thing to think about in terms of uh, the, you know, like you've just raised the rest of the world. We should also be thinking about internally what this means, because there's, I mean, there's a couple implications as to as to uh, um, what we can expect based on all of the response. One is that if there is any sort of question about uh, Canada spending money to support um, uh, a, a a continued Israeli response, like that, that's gonna happen. Um, and, uh, two is how politicians square the circle of, uh, being both, uh, in favor of reconciliation, some form of reconciliation, um, and uh, while also supporting a violent occupation, continuing to support of a violent occupation abroad. Uh, these are are things that that cannot exist in the same world unless reconciliation to those politicians to those people in power means something very different to them than it probably means to to any um, group of people who have are living under occupation or have lived under some sort of occupation uh, because I, I, I'm I'm not seeing how you can how you can can do, do both. Mm-hmm. Well, I think that this just exposes that reconciliation in Canada is nothing more than a catchphrase and an industry for a lot of people to make money off of. And, you know, the I think that there's this ex- understanding that, you know, Canada has won. Canada won. Canada's here. There's no threat to our sovereignty. And sure, like, let's not talk about the statistics of deaths and 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 illness and living conditions for Indigenous people in this country let's focus instead on reconciliation and you know we'll we'll maybe put a little bit of money here or we'll maybe say some good words there or we'll you know sign agreements that will allow you know uh, communities to have a little bit more power but like canada's colonialism is so advanced that that when we talk about reconciliation in this country it assumes that Canada is not going anywhere. It assumes that the Canadian Federation, which is the primary colonial structure, everything about the Canadian Federation from our provinces to where money comes from to where money goes, is the colonizing structure in Canada. It assumes that there's never going to be a change to any of those things, that the changes might be in, in very small reforms related to different communities. And that's what we see. That's this government's been master of those kinds of small reforms. And I think that um, it's... It's very important to make those connections and to understand the 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 settler colonialism, the character of settler colonialism in Canada, and how different it is than in other other settler settler colonial countries. But then also how similar it is as well, and how it's like you know we say in French "même combat," like they are in the same struggle. They're doing that. They're fighting for the same things and protecting the same things. And Canadians are just kind of like you know somewhere between oblivious to concerned uh, to, uh, about like our role in that settler colonial project or. You know, to the to the side of racists who would deny it. But anyway, and so I think it is really important to make that connection and to understand why Canada would be so rapidly, unquestioningly uh, in support of Israel and what Israel is doing. Another thing that that exposes is, uh, you know, just just how important also the the media is in all of this. 
you can you can only yes. believe that um, any sort of resistance movement of uh, indigenous people in Canada is like unprovoked if you don't know anything about what's happening in indigenous communities across Canada. And you can only not know that yeah. if the media is a, a partner of the colonial state. Like that's, that's the only way. And, and it is, um, you know, there's a lot of independent media that's trying to come combat that, but uh, that is the case. And the same is, is true for what's happening in Palestine. You can only believe that this is unprovoked if you have no idea what has been happening, um, since, uh, since for, for fucking decades, um, in the Middle East and, you can only not know that if there's been a partner uh, in the media to um, to the occupation. And, and that is what's been happening. And so in part, I think as we are um, rightfully calling out politicians, uh, we also have to indict the Canadian media, too, for refusing to uh, to to cover uh, this um, what is happening in Palestine um, in, in any way that makes sense, um, because it allows people uh, to be, uh, confused about what's happening right now. If you, if you don't spend all your time trying to figure out what's real and what's not, you can very legitimately be confused about what's happening right now based on how it's been, how it's been reported. And in the sort of, um, uh, irresponsible ways that it's been reported. There's been a lot of, you know, we've we've talked many times before about how um, journalists will often report um, things or, or newspapers will report things based on quotes, quotes that politicians have. And if you if the headline is the quote and the the story is based on quotes or opinions of politicians or statements that politicians have put out and there's no analysis to that, then you get quotes that are like, you know, um, pick a premier has has said that it stands with with Israel over unprovoked attack and blah, blah, blah. This is the statement. It's like, OK, great. I could have read their statement myself what is the analysis on that that tells me that that's an incorrect statement or that that statement doesn't make sense um if if history doesn't exist we're gonna have to put a little bit of history into everything that we talk about into everything that we report everything that we say and you know i i don't know about you but i'm not trying to be a uh, a partner to genocide i'm not trying to be a partner uh, to to this violent colonialism, I'm gonna. If I'm talking about this, I'm, I want to talk about the history as well that's led to this moment. And that's of critical importance, and that um, you know is whether we're talking about Ukraine and Russia, uh, Israel, Palestine, Canada, and the many nations um, that it occupies. Totally. And and actually, I mean, you know, I haven't really been watching journalism this past weekend. You know, again, it's hitting on a holiday weekend where Canadians are perhaps to tune out of the news. But there was this interview with Natasha Feta, who is consistently like the worst journalist at the CBC, I think. I don't know if you saw this. Um, she was interviewing a guy who is a research fellow and a former journalist named Yakov Katz. And Katz was saying that in response to the question, well, where would Gazans be expected to go, recognizing that, of course, they don't have free movement, they, couldn't, they can't leave Gaza. 
his response was that Israel has been, quote, forced into this war, unquote. And and this is exactly how the reality of what is happening is reformulated with the help of mainstream media. Because the idea to say that Israel has been forced into this war with Gaza is is like the most ridiculously fake and obviously not true thing that could be said about the relationship between Israel and Gaza. Like, who forced Israel to create this open-air prison? Who forced Israel to stop the movement of all of the people in Gaza? And who, who forced Israel to turn off their electricity and to, and to come up with food ratios that they've been living on for years that are not actually new as of this past weekend? And so this is the kind of shit that airs on CBC. There's no critical kind of coverage or analysis. I haven't seen how uh, journalists are going to be responding to the fact that, you know, Olivia Chow just painted like the Palestinian rally in Toronto as being like a Hamas rally and how she says that they have no permit and, you know, police will be on 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 standby. I haven't seen journalists talk about, um, you know, in Toronto, there's an overpass that Palestinian activists often go and, you know, raise their flags and stand in support of Palestine. And the police were there to clear them out very quickly when they did that this past weekend, not had a problem before. Like, this is the kind of thing that Canadians absolutely need some help understanding and if we're getting on the CBC uncritical comment like Israel was forced into this war, I mean, you have got to be kidding me. Like that is you, you might as well just like put a big fucking thing on the screen saying like liar, liar, incoming lie. This is just a lie. But it's a lie meant to confuse and it's a lie meant to to make sure that you stand with Israel uh, based on not at all knowing uh, history or the facts or anything. And that's so, so dangerous. Oh my God. I am. (laughs) That that is laughably outrageous. I, I, hmm. way to go CBC. That's great. Um, fuck. Uh, I mean, we, I think in these last uh, few minutes that we have here to discuss this, we should also, um, be talking about, uh, the Islamophobia that we can expect to see, um, in the next little bit as uh, typically follows uh, this sort of stuff. I think, you know, I, I, was, I was so stunned by, like, the, the message that Olivia Chow's office put out um, about the, the support rally today and, you know, calling, calling the, the rally um, a Hamas support rally and also saying that the police would be on... Like, I just... I think that there's a way that um, people in Canada are really comfortable with um, not even really dog whistly. It's just like a, a really, really loud instrument um, a fog uh, of Isla- a foghorn of Islamophobia um, being um, utilized in these moments and and not calling them out for for that. And it's, um, I'm, I'm worried about that. I'm nervous about that, uh, about the way uh, that people uh, will be responded to. Um, and I, and I think a culture in which people are uh, people who, who call themselves progressive, who, who are progressive, um, but are too afraid to, to say anything publicly, um, if they are people in power, 
it just, it leads, it creates the culture where that is acceptable and, um, and allows people to, to use moments like these to further, uh, Islamophobia, uh, throughout, throughout Canada and the way that, that people are allowed to, to use their, their speech, their freedom of assembly, uh, and, and so on to support a Palestinian people. And I just, I'm, I'm nervous about that. I'm nervous about, um, what comes next. Yeah. Yeah. And I think like, you know, as people are watching what comes next, I mean, first of all, if you have family anywhere affected by this, if you have family in Palestine, if you have family in Israel, I can imagine that you are horrified and scared. And I think that that's, of course, what we have to think about in all of this, the civilians, the people who live there. And, you know, Israelis have freedom of movement. They can leave Israel if they have to. Indeed, we've seen a lot of people fleeing, um, especially from some of the, the, the occupied territories, and they're fleeing on airplanes because they have passports and they can. And Palestinians deserve that same freedom. They deserve the freedom to be able to flee. I mean, I can't even believe that that has to be said, but that's where we're at with this. And if there is a, a country who uh, is governed by a far-right, ideological, violent set of people who have had histories. I mean, there's senior Israeli leaders who have histories of saying the most vile and disgusting things about Palestinians, about the people who they literally control. They are ramping up the the, the pressure on Palestine, and they, you know, it is as Anybody who has any sense is looking at the situation as saying and creating a pressure cooker where things are going to explode. This is the explosion. And just like in Ukraine, it's average people that get caught in the pressure cooker. They're the average people who've got these conditions placed upon them. But let us be clear that if you cannot leave your apartment, you cannot leave your city, you are not allowed to cross your the borders to safety. And the country that is in charge of how much food you get and your clean water, and by the way, you don't get clean water, and by the way, you don't get enough food, and by the way, they're shutting down all of the electricity, and you're going to have to fucking survive in that. If that is the country, there's another country doing that to you, then it is there that we have to be highly critical, highly, highly critical. And we have to keep our eyes on this because it is too easy to be confused. It is too easy uh, to allow um, the, the, spin, the spin doctors and all of this to say, well, Israel has a right to defend itself. Israel has absolutely no right to do what it has done to Gaza for the last many, many decades. It has absolutely no right to do that. And it does that because it has the support of what had the support of the, the biggest superpower in the world. I mean, has it, but are they still the biggest superpower in the world? I mean, that's shifting. That is what gives Israel the right. And if we believe that people deserve freedom, freedom from anybody, freedom for anybody, then we have to condemn Israel and we have to demand that our politicians refuse to support what the government of Israel is doing. And so, I mean, you know, go out to the rallies, support Palestinians, uh, check in with your Palestinian friends, check in with your friends, with any family in the region. But like, let us be clear about who the aggressor is in the situation and who needs to be condemned and who needs to be stopped.